grieving. Some families will be lost to one another forever. To those of you who face the difficulties of reconnecting with family and establishing ongoing relationships, we say sorry. We offer this apology in the hope that it will assist your healing and in order to shine a light on a dark period of our nation's history. To those who have fought for the truth to be heard, we hear you now. You're listening to Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Sparrow. This podcast is a production of Jigsaw Queensland Post-Adoption Support Service. However, the views expressed are those of the people participating, not necessarily Jigsaw Queensland. The podcast discusses adult themes and listener discretion is advised. All right. Hi, everyone. It's Joe Sparrow here. I'm so excited about today's guest. If you haven't already seen the documentary, Reckoning with a Primal Wound, then you probably heard some buzz about it. The Primal Wound, Understanding the Adopted Child, is a landmark book written by Nancy Veria, an adoptive mother, in 1993. It's probably the starting point for so many people when they begin to explore their adoption experience, and it revolutionised the way that we think about our adoptions. If you haven't read it, I read it yet, sorry, I highly recommend that you do. 28 years after its first publication is as good a time as any to reflect on the impact of this work. Rebecca Autumn Sampson is an adoptee and the filmmaker behind Reckoning with a Primal Wound. The documentary is the first film about Nancy Various landmark book and it explores not only relinquishment trauma, but also the cultural phenomenon surrounding the book. Rebecca realised there wasn't a documentary about the primal wound, amazingly, back in 2017, when she also realised that she only lived an hour away from the author. And Rebecca, can I just say how happy I am that you decided to be the first because the film is just wonderful and it gives viewers an opportunity to reflect on their own experiences. So welcome to Adopt Perspective, Rebecca. Thank you so much, Joe. I really appreciate you having me on. And for those kind words about the film, that means a lot coming from you. It was fantastic. Rebecca, why did you make this film? Um, (laughs) Such a good question. And I ask myself that (laughs) sometimes, but it was one of those things. I don't know if you've ever had that moment in your life where something keeps coming to you and then you can't not do something about it. Mm -hmm. But that's what it was. It just kept um, nagging at me. Um, And finally, I, I researched a little bit to see if anyone had made a documentary about it and um when I realized they hadn't and (laughs) Nancy Verrier lived so close to where I was in the Bay Area um I knew it was I had to do it also when you're in your third trimester of pregnancy that's when you start a movie you know that right yes yes the perfect time (laughs) I know exactly that I did my doctorate while I was um the mother of a two-year-old crazy <laughs> what is that what is wrong with us I don't know. Um, but yeah something about all that energy uh really made it I, I did it so it made it more compelling though being pregnant like that pregnant then I could be like the representative of the pregnant woman and um it worked so it kept working and um snowballed until I had so much footage that I knew I had to cut it Yes, it's happening. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I'm going to ask you a bit about that later, how your pregnancy um, impacted the film and your understanding, but I won't ask you that now. (laughs) So Rebecca, what's your background with documentaries and filmmaking? Well, um, like you, I think you did journalism and Mm -hmm. I also, I got a degree in broadcast journalism. Um, Right after graduating, I got a job at the local one of the local news stations. Um, and I, I worked there for one day and then I got offered a job at the film festival, the local film festival. And like, without hesitation, I quit at the news station <laughs> and um, started at the film festival. And uh, that was awesome. And I fell in love with documentary work. Yeah. That was in my early twenties. Um, I guess the biggest film I made, which still wasn't big because I have, I never do promo correctly with my films. Um, it sounds my like last... me with the podcast. I'm, I'm, I need some help. What? <laughs> I feel like, I don't know if it's an adoptee thing. Cause I know adoptees who are really good at yeah. like getting a publicist and actually, <laughs> uh, Francis McDormand. Hi. Um, <laughs> but yeah, for me, I've had that, like, it doesn't matter. Like no one's going to really care about this work anyway so I'm not gonna try and so for this film I think I've finally gotten over that and I am trying and it's really nice to get feedback but my last film was still I really like that film and I hope it has another life especially with Biden as president Mm -hmm. who loves passenger rail because it's about high-speed rail in America all right and I like compared it to other places in the world um and it's screened at the Capitol and so I got to go to DC and that was the biggest thing it did. And then it did some high-speed rail conferences. That was my last film. That's some of my background. I guess I'll keep making films forever. I, hope you <laughs> I do. like it. You're good at it. Thanks. But one of the things with this one, I can see into the future, or this is my dream, is to turn it into more of a docu-series. Because mm. there's so many adoptee stories that I would love to tell. This one focused on mine and then really bringing Nancy's work to more people because um, so many people don't know about this book. I don't know if you knew that, but <laughs> if you meet adoptees who've never heard of it still, but well, I, I guess, do. Yeah, actually, it was interesting because I heard you talking about that. And um, because I work in um, the adoption support environment um, and we're always recommending that book we have it in our library at Jigsaw Queensland and it's usually one that we all recommend straight away I get the impression that most people have read it so um, but that's because I'm just in that little tiny box of those people so no it, it I had I guess it was a reminder that a lot of people have not yet come to that book no I was the same way I thought okay yeah it's been 28 years everybody knows about it everybody I've been talking to does but now that it, the movie's getting out there, um, I'm hearing that more. Yeah. So that's the only reason. So yeah. yeah, even yesterday, an adoptee in her 40s was like, after I saw your movie, um, she saw a preview with the Mother's Day screening. She was like, I bought the book and I bought four copies and I gave them to like everybody in my family because I had no idea it was a yeah. thing. It's like, oh, great. That's well, that kind of brings outcome. me to my next question, I guess, because there'll be people who are listening to this podcast who haven't read The Primal Wound yet. So can you give us a bit of a summary about the book and why it was and remains a book that is so important to adopted people? Mm, yeah. So I think 
also like a lot of adoptees, I was recommended to read it multiple times before I actually did. Um, and hadn't thought about, I didn't know anyone had written something that would be so validating. I don't know if that's how your experience was reading it, but it goes through like the wound, the manifestations and the healing. That's how the book is laid out. And that's how the film is laid out. Cause I I love that. And um, just going deep into those issues and like, this is why I did all these behaviors and like, it made sense. Yeah, because the book explores that pre and perinatal psychology, attachment, bonding and loss, and it clarifies the effects of separation from the biological mother on adopted children. And like you said, it acknowledges and it validates the feelings of adopted people and it gives us an explanation for some of our behaviours. And one of um, the things that really spoke to me about the book is she posits that when the natural evolution is interrupted by a postnatal separation from the biological mother, the resultant experience of abandonment and loss is indelibly imprinted upon the unconscious minds of these children. And that's what she calls the primal wound. Mm, yeah, that was well said. And that's another reason I like to film people who are experts saying what <laughs> they did because I you're doing a great job the way well yeah but like the way Nancy puts it is so good like she's so eloquent and I don't know how she was able to do that and um such a poignant way that just nailed it well especially when there was a dearth of other research done at the time like you know there's Betty Jane uh, Betty Jean Lifton who had done some incredible work she's an adoptee and I recommend you go and find her books as well um But, yeah, she was coming from um, a point where she was really creating something. You know, it was it was new ground that she was breaking and she put it together in such a wonderful way that still today, it's, it's still as relevant today as it was 28 years ago. Yeah, exactly. And I hope that the movie, that's the main reason I made the movie is so that people could learn about Nancy's work because so, it will hopefully help more people. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess before we go further into the film, I, I wanted to have a bit of a discussion about the book and its personal impacts on each of us, if that's okay. Because um, mm-hmm. I personally did a lot of reflection after watching your film. And I think that's the wonderful thing about it is it's going to make a lot of people think about their experience and their experience of reading the book. And so I was an only adopted child of four who grew up in a very sensible country family. And if we had a family motto, it would have been, what's the point of nasal, you know, navel gazing, just get on with it. So while I was aware growing up that I felt really empty inside, like I was dragging a bag of sadness around behind me, I was long down the road of denial when it came to connecting adoption with those feelings. And I didn't believe that I could miss something that I didn't remember. So legislation changed in my state in 1991 that allowed me to meet my mother when I was 19 and I raced to find her. And then I had my first child about 10 years later. And for me, that is when the wheels fell off. I had my son on the back of two miscarriages and almost three years of trying to conceive. So I was already a little messed up about conception and motherhood. And I'd never really been maternal or interested in babies and had grown up surrounded by very maternal women. 
So my son screamed for 50 minutes when he was born. And in that time, I was triggered and re-traumatized. I wasn't physically able to breastfeed him. And to top it off, I got pancreatitis in the weeks after his birth and was hospitalized for 10 days. And he wasn't allowed to stay with me because he was bottle fed. So here I was, highly triggered, first-time mother, an adoptee, and I was separated from my baby for 10 days. And I didn't know what was happening to me, but I knew that all the stability I'd had before, and it wasn't, you know, a lot in some ways, but all of the stability I'd had, it had left the building. So when I uh, recovered, I reconnected with Jigsaw Queensland and I began attending support groups and ordered my first copy of The Primal Wound in the year 2000, age 29. So for me, the book has truly come of age because we're celebrating our 21st anniversary of having me having read it. Primal wound, it gave me permission to consider that I'd really lost something through adoption. It had an enormous impact on myself, safety and stability, made me feel heard. And it explained something that I didn't have the language to explain myself. And more importantly, it helped me understand that the birth of my son might have cleaved open a wound that I buried. So it gave me the starting place to clean out that fester that was inside of me and begin the work of healing. So it was probably one of the two most influential books in my life. The other one would have been Betty Jean Lifton's Journey of the Adopted Self. So can I ask you after my long-winded explanation there? <laughs> I love Rebecca, that. Wow. <laughs> I don't normally talk about my stuff, but how did you come oh. to read The Primal Wound and how did it impact your experience of adoption? Um, well, I feel like a lot of what you said I resonate with and um that's so much to go through though. Like with your birth story with your son. Oh yeah. Um, it was a really big thing for me at the time. Imagine. Um, because when you read the book, it's like, yes, yeah, something happens on that cellular level. And I don't know about you, but, um, did you see that movie get out? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you maybe? <laughs> But the sunk down place, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That really hit me. And um, I think that in the same way reading The Primal Wound did. Yeah. Like, okay, I think I've been in the sunk down place my whole life. And now there's somebody that sees me and is saying why I feel yeah. that way. Yeah. And maybe hopefully there's a way out of this. Um, but yeah, it was very impactful, um, even life-changing and it never left my mind. And I I talked about it with adoptees all over the world, randomly filming up. It was literally filming my other films and they would uh, randomly would be adoptees too, which I don't meet that many adoptees. So Mm -hmm. again, there's something going on that I haven't really been in control of (laughs) with making this movie. I must admit that while I'm a massive consumer of the arts, particularly books and films, I've never been much of a fangirl. I don't get excited when I run into someone famous or meet them. I don't do autographs. They all put their pants on, you know, one leg at a time like the rest of us. But there are two women whom my pulse would probably do a tap dance for. And, um, And they're the English author Jeanette Winterson and Nancy Verrier. And it seems to me, and I could be wrong, that Nancy doesn't poke her head up and do interviews very often anymore. (laughs) So, you know, if I'm wrong and you're listening, Nancy, please give me a call. But um, how did you come to interview Nancy? Yeah, so Nancy 
didn't. She just like did a hard stop on interviews after she was misquoted a number of times. As you can imagine, that's mm-hmm. like upsetting. And then you just don't want to do it anymore. Yes. Um, so she was kind of in that space for years. And it took me six months to like build up a rapport that was trustworthy enough to actually film for as long yeah. as we did. Um, we did like three interviews, like two hour long interviews. Um, I have so much footage of Nancy. <laughs> Literally, that's why I said I can make a YouTube channel. Um, and now we're like very close friends that we talk a lot, like throughout oh, the week. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that she's, and she, like, she did that other podcast with me um, a couple weeks ago. So I think yeah. that she's come back. <laughs> well, you know, podcast is so much better, I think as far as like being misquoted, because when somebody's writing your words out, you know, it's very easy to misquote them or put it in the wrong context. But in a podcast, while it can be edited, um, there's less chance of that happening, you know, and you get to know who's interviewing you and, you you know, if somebody's interviewing you from an, an adoptee's perspective, they're unlikely to want to mash your words around. So totally. And, yeah. and it wasn't articles, written articles. So yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Pre-podcast era. Yes. <laughs> so what was it like to interview her? Oh, she is so great. Um, hopefully this comes through in the film, but, and it wasn't until the second interview where she was sitting in her living room when we were about to leave. And I, I took a picture with my iPhone um, and was like, wait, this is where we should have set up the shot because mm-hmm. it's all the orchids. It's so her. Um, yep. She has a beautiful home. Yes. Yeah. So we, when I came back, I set her up where um, you mostly see I mean the other room is the orchid room too she has like flowers <laughs> everywhere but you know the wide shot and um you know what I'm talking about yes <laughs> the yeah. main one in fact I have the show poster like here which has never been on a podcast and this is like kind of crumpled up but there's a lot of ah <laughs> oh, there's her shot. room yeah this one um, yeah I love that with Solari the cat Yes, and, for people um, who can't see, look, yeah. she had a cat in the film that kept um, jumping up on her and it was actually really amazing. <laughs> okay, good, because she wanted to, um, well, she had him in the back room. Yeah, it was me who was like, let him out. I love oh, that. No. And then that's part of the movie. You see yeah. everybody, every single person I got with their pets. Yeah. So David Brzezinski, yep. we they all have cameos with their pets because <laughs> I love animals which I think a lot of adoptees have this connection with animals I've yeah. noticed that most people don't or we can communicate with animals in a yeah. different way you're like that too oh yeah I've got a cattle dog I'm surprised he's not behind me now um you know if, if a delivery person comes during this podcast he'll start barking you'll see him <laughs> I think um, I heard him on a, a previous episode you probably did yeah. <laughs> I love that it's it's true dogs um for me growing up and I had a cat as well called Ringy. Um, and I was very close to them. And I, because while I was one of four children, um, my sister was 18 years older, brother was 14 years older, and another brother, the only one I recall living with, was seven years older. So I was pretty lonely. And um, pets, pets were my friends and they give comfort. Mm-hmm. They don't require anything of you, just love. And and I think, yeah, yep. pets are very important to my own healing, my own life and remain so 
Yes. And I think that's a subconscious part of the film mm-hmm. that I just naturally did and wanted, knew was important, but didn't make like a super conscious, like I didn't ask Nancy if she had a pet before we got there. <laughs> if not, we can provide you one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. We're going to bring you a pet. You're going to have to bond with it in two hours before we start filming. <laughs> but that was a nice like addition that I didn't even think about. Yeah. That's lovely. I think is important too, to like note. Yeah. That those are animals are healing to a dog. Yeah. <laughs> One of the criticisms of the primal wound over the years, and there aren't many of them, but um, is that it was written by an adoptive parent rather than someone with lived adoptee experience. Was there any intent to reclaim the adoptee narrative in the inclusion of multiple adoptee stories in the film? Oh, yeah, Um, definitely. (laughs) So I'm aware of that criticism and I still see it on Instagram. (laughs) Um, like in a surprising way that I feel like it's a little more mean-spirited than is warranted at all. (laughs) Because Nancy has devoted a lot of her life to um, amplifying adoptee voices. Mm. So I just, I think she should be um, revered. (laughs) And that's why I wanted to make this tribute. Yeah, Commended is a better word. Um, But I also wanted to point that out, which I think I do in a number of ways um, with Nico and my mom in the film, kind of pushing back on the whole concept, but also having so many adoptees talking about their experience, reading the book, or just trying to center adoptees in the movie. And I hope that comes through as well, because that's definitely, this film is um, a tribute to Nancy in the book, but it's also about narrative change for adoption like as a whole when I first heard the book was written by an adoptive mother back when I bought it um I must admit it was a little bit of a turn off at first because I was tired of my story being told by others but it wasn't long after I started reading that I found myself wishing that my own mother adoptive mother had read the book and wondering what my experience would have been like if my parents had been like Nancy and had been curious about my adoption experience oh yeah So um, your own adoption story and parts of other adoptees' stories and an adoptive mother of a young child are weaved through the film. It's almost like a blanket where you've sort of put it all together um, into something beautiful. Um, Yeah, and obviously I want everyone to watch the film, and I know it's not out yet. No giveaway. So hopefully, like, if you are scared of spoilers, then just don't listen to this yet. (laughs) Um, it's like I said before, it's easier to talk about your experience and I didn't really want to, but then, um, when I started talking to Jill on camera, my Mm -hmm. biological mother, and she was so gracious and, um, raw and honest and like had all of the emotions come out and was okay with that being on camera. I decided to match her, you know, and just go for it too. And those things that were happening were happening organically you know Mm. there's a scene in the film where um you're in the park at martin at the martin family reunion in 2019 which is your um, biological family and 
there's snippets playing of a video of your um, biological brother's wedding with your sisters in the wedding party. And, and you say something which was so profound. Um, you say even in positive, inclusive reunions, you can still feel left out. And there's so much that can't be, even though there's so much that is. There's so much that will never be that can't be. Like at the family reunion, I felt that <laughs> because like I saw um, my sisters leave with my future sister-in-law and I was like where are they going you know yes like, yeah. oh, they're going uh to a bridal thing for the wedding which wasn't for like eight months I was like oh whoa. I didn't even consider that like of course they're in the wedding and I'm not yeah you know I never thought about that or how that would feel plus it was so like long before the actual date of the wedding that I had not prepared myself for thinking about it at all. (laughs) Weddings are so like triggering anyways. And it was such a beautiful moment for me to listen to, because to me, that is, that is the rub of adoption. I've met my parents, I've met my brother, um, and I've made peace with adoption as much as you can, you know, being that it's a lifelong um, thing. But I always feel in the middle of adoptive and birth parents. I'm not fully a part of either one. And it can be a lonely place. It's it's a painful place for me to be. And if I'm in pain about adoption, that's usually the trigger for me. And I'm working on making this zone between my own and my, um, I guess, making the zone for me, my own space. And then I can invite those families in instead of me having to be on the outside of their zones, which is painful. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Is that Sorry, what you've done with this film? That, yeah. And um, uh, I didn't even realize that, like what, how you said it until then, like yeah. that happening in 2019 was the first time I realized that, like, I yeah. thought for a second because I was in reunion and it was positive that I was done, I guess, mm. <laughs> with the hard part. Yeah. And that's when it hit me for the first time. And I was able to get it on film. Um, so I, yeah, yeah I, I bet everybody, every adoptee in reunions get, like has that moment at some point that we can all relate to. Yeah. And that's why we can all be together in that. Um, yeah. But certainly related to it. But I love what you're saying about making it your own space. Because, yeah, when I hear that, I'm like, that's amazing, Joe. How how do you do that? Well, I think you've started doing that with this film because you've kind of like, you've put your stamp down and it's a bit about who you are and about your experience. And you've said some things through the film that you wanted people to know and you're reaching out and, and connecting with other adopted people through it, which is, um, I mean, that's, there really is the definition to me of creating your own space and inviting people into that to meet you there. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> You're on your path. We both are. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> the, um, the podcast that we've got here, Adopt Perspective, it aims to examine the perspectives of adopted people and biological mothers and fathers. And you produced, as you just said, the reckoning with a primal wound with your mother, Jill. What was your intention by working together to make the film? (laughs) Um, I think, again, like the animals thing, it just was subconsciously part of it that I didn't realize was so significant until after. 
Yeah. And now I'm hearing like, that's amazing that it's adoptee and biological mother produced. Mm-hmm. And I didn't mean to do that. It just happened because like my mom didn't want to come or she just didn't feel like that was what she should do come to Frankie Joe's birth, which is mm-hmm. fine. Um, and she was there like two days later, but being, I wanted someone there in the room. And, um, when it hit me that Jill should come and then we can bond over that. Cause we've been in reunion for like six years at that point. And then yeah. she was down. She was like, yes, I'm there. I would love to be there. Um, it started, it just naturally happened again. Cause like I said, um, or maybe I didn't, that I was induced. So she came out to Palo Alto for, and was there for three weeks before, like anything happens. Yes. Um, yes. as I don't know how, and all of this was, is in but... the film. This is, um, when you're not the birth, obviously well, but Jill being there and Jill. Yeah. In the hospital room, Yeah, <laughs> like the compelling labor and delivery setting. Yeah. Um, we had a camera in there, obviously, and no one yeah. filmed the birth part. <laughs> but it was, it was I like, mean, I couldn't film that part. <laughs> Being induced, you had, busy. Some, you had some downtime, like, so you were able to yeah, like, and talk uh, about. Yeah. So much downtime. Yeah. I'd say, yeah, 12 hours of nothing happening. Yeah. Um, and you know what's amazing to me, though, is like, I find when I have deeper conversations which I'll be honest I haven't had a lot of but if if I'm having a deeper conversation with my mother as in my biological mother I'm often in a a highly anxious place Um, and so I don't take a lot of it in at the time and so it must be really nice for you to I don't know if it's the same for you but you can look back on this now and you might see things down the track that you didn't didn't connect with at the time yeah no even watching myself with her right here and I'm just like sipping my water and probably I don't know if I'm even listening you know completely (laughs) I'm like having all the drugs and or whatever (laughs) I did um but exactly it I even now watching the movie and I've gotten to a place um I told Astrid from Adoption Mosaic like a couple weeks ago that I didn't want to watch it ever again but now I've got I tweaked a few things in it and I think I've gotten it to a place where I could watch it over and over again because I did I watched it three times in a row basically last weekend different days like Friday Saturday and Sunday yeah and I was like this is not bad yes so I think I got it to some place that I needed to yeah that's fantastic Um, I believe you probably just heard my dog then about yes he's hi i love it (laughs) so um just to let you know my son's about to walk in the door from the gym so um there'll be a little bit of noise but uh you also um so as well as unpacking nancy various book with her which was amazing you also interviewed david brodinski um for the film and anyone who doesn't know who David is he's a professor in the department of psychology and the director of foster care counseling project at Rutgers University did I say that right yes Rutgers yeah Rutgers and has Mm -hmm. written several books about the impacts of adoption um one of which I have here if we end up showing this video being adopted the lifelong search for self 
That one's good. <laughs> so that interview only came about again, like yes, this is the things you had no control over, it, because you discovered that he only lived nearby as well. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> um, literally, yeah, an hour and a half away. Yeah, that's incredible. And it made me think of when I have been rewriting my own research at the moment, it, it's taken me of all places to Concord, Concord, Massachusetts over there in America. And this genius cluster of authors there, such as Alcott, Emerson, Hawthorne and Thoreau. And so I thought maybe there's an adoption genius cluster hanging out in Northern California. What's in the water there? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> it might be true. <laughs> So David spoke about disenfranchised grief and how important an empathetic response from an adoptive parent is to an adoptee. And instead of not acknowledging the loss or minimizing its importance, instead they could respond in an empathetic manner to the child's grief. That's the adoptee side. However, I keenly felt in the film the disenfranchisement of your mother Jill's experience. She shared the story of her pregnancy, returning home, after your adoption and her suffering when everyone wanted her to just move on and she felt they weren't open to her talking about it which is a story I've heard from a lot of um, mothers and I wondered if the two of you found some relief in listening to each other's stories with empathy while you're film filming mm. oh yeah definitely because I'd never heard her story yeah. in such detail which is also um, your story part of your story yes yes it was very deep <laughs> and um, there's a part in the film where I, I get up, I like I'm behind the camera and I literally have Frankie Joe in my lap, like filming Jill crying. And I'm like, what am I doing? I have to hug her right now. Yeah. And like, so I think that's what would happen if we were really having that conversation, which we were, it's just, we never had. And maybe this is my weird way of communicating and I have yes. to do it in movie form, but, um, oh yeah, so much. We've learned a lot about each other and it's still, I feel like we could keep learning for a lifetime. It's like, yeah. how do you close that, um, gap of history? Yeah. David also, yeah. um, said something interesting because, you know, I think all adoptees have heard before, well, I, you know, I know an adoptee who's um, fine with their adoption and they don't have any problems, you know, and they don't search for their parent. you know, you must have had a bad experience. So David said something that was interesting, which is that every adoptee searches for their biological family. What did he mean by that? Oh, I love that. Um, <laughs> that just knowing, and I do remember being told that, um, I had another mommy and daddy out there somewhere. Yeah. I think I was three or four, but I remember that day and I never stopped thinking about that. And that's called ruminating. Mm -hmm. And that's a form of searching, yeah. like David says. So I thought that was a really important bit to put in. Yeah. And when people do say, you know, I know adoptee and they're fine, like the chances that an adopted person is going to be super open about their pain with you um, in a conversation, it doesn't happen for me a lot because you get a lot of bad feedback when you do that. So um, it's pretty rare I open up to people and it's very rare I go deep into it um, and I pick my people. Yep. Circle of trust. And yeah. that I've heard that everything in the movie is basically something that I've heard before and like wanted somebody to see. 
but I think it also is so common and um, is like a universal thing adoptees deal with. Yeah. Um, now, I don't want to do any spoilers again, but I would love to dig a little bit into this. Um, so my adoptive mother told me when I was about nine years old that she had a letter from the department that had some information about my birth parents. And then she told me that she wasn't going to give it to me until I was older. And I think she said something about, you know, 16, which seemed like a million miles away when I was nine. So every bit of anger that I directed towards that faceless government keeping me from my family that wouldn't let me access my records was redirected at her in that moment. And I cannot overstate the damage that it did to my relationship with her at the time. For the record, as soon as I got home alone, I was home alone in the house one day, I searched the house, found the letter, read it, and then never told her about it. <laughs> Scandalous. I love but, that. Um, <laughs> you did extensive interviews with your mother, Jill, and with your adoptive parents, Martha and Rob, and Dr. Becky Morsh, and who was the social worker on Jill's case in 1982. During those interviews, it was revealed that Jill had created something that she left with the social worker who arranged your adoption to give to your adoptive parents so that they, in turn, could give it to you when the time was right. Can you tell us about it? Yes, and that's in the trailer, so we can even say that it was the box. Like, Jill made a box, did not receive it, and I do think, like what you're saying, that it creates a secondary separation trauma that's not as profound as the primal wound, but it's very profound to have these secrets and lies with your adoptive parents. It's compounded, isn't it? It's a compound trauma, really. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Compound trauma. That's it. (laughs) I like that. Um, Which what I'm just still processing what that did because I think I've just figured out that's what it is. Yeah. And um, like if my it's almost like you have no control in the healing process because other people need to be doing work that they're mm-hmm. probably not doing yeah, um, yeah or even admitting that they did anything wrong yeah because so. what reason did they give you that they um didn't give you the box full of which is full of like but it's the same thing things. your yeah. your mom said I think yeah. um yeah, we'll give it to you when you're old enough. And then that never happens. Yeah. Or, you know, it's just. Yeah. Yeah. But they couldn't, they didn't realize how important it was mm-hmm. because they were totally like zoned in on raising a little baby. Yeah. Yeah. Your mom actually made me laugh with um, how she was happy to be heard on the film, but she didn't want to be seen. (laughs) (laughs) It was really funny. Uh, Obviously, she was okay with being seen a little bit because we did get to see Martha. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I I imagine that she and your dad have seen the film now. What was their reaction? Okay, so I didn't let them see it for a while and just was kind of depressed, I think, because I was 100% sure that they would want to be cut out of it. Mm -hmm. And so I was just kind of in a funk uh, the beginning of last year when I was close to having the draft and I really liked it and I I needed them to be in it. And I was like, there's no way they're going to sign off on this. And, um, but I had to show them. And then I just like, I was like, I have to show them. So I did it one day. (laughs) Um, It took them like a week to watch it. And I got a text 
from my mom and it was like the best text ever. She just said, it's really good. It's you and Jill's story and we have no notes. That's amazing. Yeah. And I totally get that anxiety about having them watch it because, you know, when I finished my memoir, um, I have never had, I had never had a conversation with my parents about my adoption and how I felt about it. Um, and so I finished writing that, gosh, how old was I? It would have been like 39, 40 or something. Um, so never had a conversation about it. And I couldn't come up with the end of my thesis. Like, so the research element of what I was doing, I couldn't come up with the end. And it was because I think I needed an audience. And I thought at the time, maybe they're the audience. And so I was so, um, I was so anxious about them reading it that I gave it to them, said, we're not allowed to talk about it. And then I arranged a support worker to sit in with us to navigate a conversation of about an hour length where we could talk about it. And then I said to them, when we leave this room, I don't want to talk about it again. Because for me, it's a painful conversation. So, um, and so the interesting thing was that even though um, it was great to finally have that conversation and they understood and um, my dad, like towards the end, you know, I adored my father, he sort of looked at the, he was crying and I said to him, what's the matter? You know, what do you want to say? And he said, how do we fix this? You know, he indicated the memoir and he said, how do we fix it? And I said to him, well, there's no fixing it. You can't put back what was taken it's all we can do is learn from it and understand it and and heal I guess and Mm -hmm. uh, it was then that I realized it wasn't them I needed to be my audience it was me do you think you Mm. were your audience for this oh my gosh yeah and I think I've heard that on podcasts like yours um and others that like the more you tell your story the more healing it is for you yeah and I never thought of that before but I think that is exactly right yeah because there's no monument to the loss for adoptees there's um you know if if your mother dies you have a grave you can go to visit you have photo albums that you can look at you have the memories to go on but for an adoptee that lost their mother at birth or soon after there is no there's no monument and so Mm. in some ways I think your film my book other things artworks that people work on that can become the monument, like it's building a monument wow. to the loss. That's amazing. I love thinking of it like that. Yeah, it is. Wow. We're going off script here. What am I doing? <laughs> but I think yeah, I think you created a beautiful monument for you and for a lot of people. Um, I hope so. And I like to talk about how it's our film. Like that's important to me. I don't want it to be about me. Yeah. Um, that's not the point. Uh, I really want it to be for all adoptees. So I still say that. I want people to send me their name if they want to be in the adoptee army. (laughs) I'll (laughs) add it to the credits. But it's long now. There's like 100 adoptees in the credits. Yeah. Your mum said in the film that she thought the primal wound was just Nancy's point of view and a hypothesis that can't be scientifically corroborated. Um, I had a sharp intake of breath at that, and I imagine you did too. Have you spoken to her at all post like that first text um, when, the, when she watched the film and has her perspective changed at all? <laughs> um, no, it has not. <laughs> um, but, and yeah, I should talk to them about it more. And sometimes I think about, like, you know, you want to talk to your parents about what's going on in your life. And 
working on distribution for the film is kind of a big thing that's going on right now. And I want to tell them about it sometimes or little successes. And then I stop myself. I'm like, ah, I don't actually want to talk. I just want to leave it where they're good with it, you know, yeah, not ever say anything again. But um, I can see in the future where we're to a point like it's out, you know, and feedback's coming in and we have a meaningful conversation about it and maybe they change their minds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was listening to you speak um, on the Adoption, the Making of Me podcast while I was doing my school drop-off this morning, and you had an anecdote in it that really touched home for me, and it was about your father-in-law and some calves. Can you, rather than me retelling it badly, can you tell us that little anecdote? <laughs> and that just happened. That was like a month ago, um, his <laughs> 70th birthday. Happy birthday, Dennis. Um, Hi, Dennis. And birthday. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he was sharing all these stories about growing up and how one of his jobs with his uncle was because they worked in ag in Texas. So Mm -hmm. had a farm. And um, one of the jobs with uncle Sid was separating the cows, the mother cows from their calves Mm -hmm. and like how he didn't really think about it at the time because it was just like that was what you do go do it like this you know and then put the calves over here and put the cow yeah. over. and the cows would just be mooing and they were so like distraught and how sad it was and it was like it hit him for the first time how sad that was and we were not talking about adoption or the Bible or anything in this conversation yeah. obviously but of course I'm thinking oh it's sad to separate like mothers and babies. Isn't it? <laughs> really? <laughs> and it's, how common that is. Like yeah. we don't even do that. Like I, those cows were not a day old, you know? Yeah. yeah. I don't know how old they are when they are, but kittens and puppies, you know, you've heard that before. Yeah. They're definitely, it's illegal to separate them before six weeks. Right. Yeah. So we, yeah. <laughs> it was one of those moments hearing you say that just reminded me of how well we, all adopted people have different stories and experiences. There's some commonalities amongst us. And um, I was reminded of a part that I wrote about in the doctorate where I, um, so in the doctorate, I was exploring constructing identity after adoption using writing. And um, it was a similar scenario where I grew up on a farm and I um, there was dad used to take me out when he would do the milking of the cows of the morning. You know, we were in a dairy farm, so it was just, you know, hand milking. And um, I was going to read it to you if that's okay. If there's anything that gets yeah. cut from this podcast, it'll probably be this because it's a bit self-indulgent. But um, to set it up, we're milking the cow. There's a distressed calf that's locked outside the yard and it's able to see its mother, but it can't get to her. So this mm-hmm. is the conversation that happened between my dad and I. We keep the calf separate from the cow so we can get the best of the morning cream. Dad was explaining why he couldn't let the latest edition of our small herd of cattle and urgently mewing calf into the yard where his distressed Jersey mother was tethered. He squatted on a grey stump cut to perfect height beside the cow's caramel tummy and squirted her warm, frothy milk into a bucket. It upset me to watch the bully calf pace the length of the yard over and over, pushing his head sideways between the whitewashed rails, looking for a way in. His pink tongue stuck out and his red-veined eyes rolled madly. Finding himself stuck between the timber, he'd panic and push forward and then pull back before twisting his head to the side to free it. The smell of dust and manure was sharp in my nostrils. I've watched the morning milking routine many times and it always turned my stomach, yet still I came to witness. 
can't we put him somewhere where he won't see his mum and get so worried? I said, no, the noise makes her let down the milk. Seeing my worried face, dad patted his knee and settled me between him and the cow. He told me to open my mouth. Knowing what to expect, I closed my eyes and opened wide. He lifted the teat and deliberately squirted a shot of warm, creamy milk onto my cheek and eye before finding my mouth. Whoops, he laughed. I giggled and wiped it off again with the sleeve of my jumper before looking back over, his, over my shoulder at the pacing calf again. Will there be any left for him? Plenty, he said. So, I mean, <laughs> and it was after that experience that I wrote about that I first asked my mother if I'd ever be able to meet my other mother. And at the time, of course, the answer was no, because it was illegal. I wouldn't be able to meet her. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's profound. But, yeah, it's just oh, so funny. We have these yeah. same things that come up and they resonate. Yeah, it's the exact same uh, that's a, another thing it's like let's fix this for people and then can we please start treating animals better but thanks for writing that I want you to publish your memoir <laughs> we'll get there you're a good writer <laughs> thank you <laughs> you go by two names now Rebecca and Autumn can you tell us about why you decided to do this what's the story behind it well um you'll see this in the film the first like three minutes but Jill names me Autumn. Most of a lot of adoptees know their first name, yeah, original name, yeah. Um, but I really resonate with Autumn. And then Jill did talk about me to her family and called me Autumn. So when I did meet them, instead of trying, I just like rolled with Autumn. Mm. And then um, mostly that's all who called me Autumn. But my husband like has a professor at Vanderbilt when we were there who heard the story and was around during when um, reunion was happening initially like 10 years ago and he glommed on to Autumn he's like I'm gonna call you Autumn from now on and I love that <laughs> like if people resonate with Autumn too and they call me that that's fine but I only request that my um first family call me Autumn yeah but everyone else mostly calls me Rebecca and then when I'm at Starbucks, I say my name's Autumn. <laughs> <laughs> well, Autumn, my final question for you is this. <laughs> Are you going to switch to Autumn? <laughs> I'm going to switch to Autumn. Rather than what won't it. or can't be, what will be next on the horizon for you? Um, well, getting this film out there and hopefully doing the docu-series like an episodic series, you know, with a big platform like Netflix. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, oh. I'm down to dedicate some time to this cause. Yeah. And how can people keep track of you and what the film up is, you know, up to and, and what your next project is going to be? Um, well, you can sign up for the newsletter at reckoningwiththeprimalwound.com. Follow me on Instagram. Um, it's pretty easy to find. And I have a public Instagram now, which is new that, and I'm just being very transparent about the distribution process and everything. Mm -hmm. So if you sign up for the newsletter, I do those pretty regularly. There's, um, I think this is going to come out before the cub screening in LA on October 22nd. And it should be, we will be after the, um, intercountry, 
um, adoptee voices um, online screening. So we'll, this will be coming out in early yes. October. So that will have happened. Yeah, and hopefully those all went well. And um, I just want to uh, congratulate Linnell Long on putting She's out amazing. her resources that are coming out soon. I think they were supposed to come out today, but now they're coming out later. But um, these amazing video resources for adoptees. So check out the ICAV website. Yes, we did um, an interview with Linnell about that a couple of weeks ago. I heard it. It was so good. Oh, so that's one of She's the- amazing again hype those um I got a sneak peek and I don't know if you did too but they're I did, really yep. good they're, yeah, they're, they're powerful and we're working with you now to um arrange a hopefully in-person screening of the reckoning of the priming, primal wound but mm-hmm. in these COVID times that could quickly switch to online we'll have to see what happens um so I'll talk <laughs> to you some more after the podcast is great finished about yes that. let's do that <laughs> but um, I, I love the film I've already said that I really did and um I wish you all the best with getting some big distributors on board because I think it's important and, it, and the more we can get the word out for people that there is support available, resources available for them to explore their experience, you know, the better. And, um, and I hope we get a chance to talk again, Autumn, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. It's been a pleasure. Let's talk again soon. I'll bring Nancy next time. Yeah, bring Nancy, please. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, do you have a story that you'd like to share with us? If you'd like to be interviewed for the podcast, jump onto the main podcast page of the Jigsaw Queensland website and complete the prospective guest form that you'll find there. And please note that Adopt Perspective can be listened to by people all over the world. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Adopt Perspective podcast. If you'd like to find out more, go to the podcast page on www.jigsawqueensland.com and you'll find a wealth of information and resources on the website. If you reside in Queensland, you can reach Jigsaw Queensland's Forced Adoption Support Service on toll-free 1800 210313 or you can call Jigsaw on 07 3358 If you live in another state of Australia, you can still call the Forced Adoption Support Service number and your call will be answered by the Forced Adoption Support Service in the state that you're calling from. In every other state, Relationships Australia operates this service. A big thank you to Matt Sparrow for composing and recording our original theme music. Until next time, I'm Jo Sparrow saying farewell from Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. Thank you.